This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless. This is a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. And I am your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael, who is probably overdressed to be recording a podcast, whereas I am certainly underdressed. But that uh, is the I'm in the church of the- office. So theoretically, at any point, somebody could walk in and say, Pastor, can I meet with you? And I'd have to stop all this and say, just give me a moment. And uh, so I am, I'm dressed for that occasion as much as the podcast, especially being that nobody sees us. <laughs> this, this is a great reminder that Pastor Michael is the pastor on the podcast and I am just the guy. So if we ever had to rebrand, we could be like the host and the pastor or something, something like that, though people right. would probably think this was a Roman Catholic show of some kind. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, what are we talking about today, Pastor Michael? Well, we've been saying for a long time that one of the things that we feel like we need to cover is the idea of family worship. And this is something that we don't think was really hit upon well, or really at all, at least not much um, within the new Calvinism. And uh, as we've been doing different episodes once in a while, you know, we have our kind of interview episodes and we have our reaction episodes and we have our, you know, kind of deeper dives into some of the new Calvinist doctrine episodes. Uh, But then we've also had a few that, you know, I would describe as kind of our, our episodes on what Christian piety actually looks like. And so we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, discernment and we've, we've done an episode on being a churchman and, you know, what it looks like to devote yourself to uh, the local church and to the greater church body through the local church. And so we thought that it's very important at this point that we cover uh, family worship. What does family religion and family worship look like and uh, how is it to be done? Yeah, because I, for most of my life, would have never had a concept for family religion, right? That there was some kind of, that the family was some kind of a unit. You know, it's been called by the reformers, a little church in your home. And I do think, as Pastor Michael said, this was not a feature of New Calvinism. So we're kind of doing an episode on the things the New Calvinists never told me. And so I was trying to find as far back as I could go, how early in New Calvinist publishing places, blogs, family worship was talked about or given kind of even the normal advice on, right? Because the New Calvinist blogs give you advice on everything, what movies to see, all of this stuff. And so I wanted to see when and how early New Calvinism was discussed. So the earliest post I could find, for example, on the Gospel Coalition was Justin Taylor. And all that was was a link to someone else mentioning family worship in their blog. He didn't write anything. He posted a link. And he actually was posting a link to a blog written by Joe Thorne. So good for you, Joe. You were early on talking about family worship. And then the first actual blog post, the Gospel Coalition hosted, was on March 8th, 2011. And it was called 11 Reasons to Worship with Your Family by Jason Heliopolis. If you know who that is, he's actually written two books on family worship, both that I think are are good. And that was as early as I could find. Now, maybe some of our listeners could show me earlier articles, but I'll say it was easier for me to find multiple articles on the family as an idol over 
doing family worship on the gospel coalition. That's fascinating that, uh, that came up far more. Um, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, that was such a common trope that seemed to come up a lot about idolizing the family. And obviously we would agree it's possible to turn your family into an idol. Uh, but also at least in my experience, this is not a common problem in the church, not the churches I've been a part of that, or I should say, you know, maybe it's not that it's not, it doesn't happen, but the far more regular problem is the neglect of family and especially in the area of family religion. Yes. And so I went to Tim Challies who posts a blog every day. So in 2006 and 2007, Tim Challies reviewed books related to family worship, but that was the only content. And then in in 2017, he did two things on family worship. Uh, he wrote a sponsored article. So someone paid for this article called Family Worship Has Fallen on Hard Times. And he recorded some now defunct podcast on the art of godliness and covered it as one of the topics. And so, again, what I'm just saying is that you can. there could be other voices that were pointing this out. But in general, this was not an emphasis. Mm-hmm. The bigger emphasis was that it was a potentially an idol. And I went to the new Calvinist who we have named many times and spoken of many times, Mark Driscoll, because as a new Calvinist, he was one of the new Calvinists. I actually heard talking about family marriage the most. Yeah. Pastor Michael, did you ever read his really short book called Pastor Dad? I don't remember ever reading it. If I did, it's, it's long gone from my memory. Yeah, you can find it on free for free on the internet right now. It has not been memory hold yet. And it is just a bunch of it's from an a sermon from 2001 where he preached on basically right the pastor being a uh, the dad, sorry, the dad being a pastor to his family. That that's one of his roles. And I will say inside of the book there was nothing on family worship. So this was the closest I came and I'll just read this quote for you. Therefore, the father's duty is to cultivate all aspects of his child's maturity in the Lord. Practically, this means everything in life of the child is ultimately responsibility of the father. This is a particularly radical idea when more than one in three births to unmarried, are to unmarried women and more than one in three children do not live with their biological father. Because of the sins of their failed fathers, the responsibility for raising children has increasingly fallen on government institutions. And one practical part of this cultivation is the father's needs to think through the education of his children and have a theology of childhood education. Sorry, I did miss in this quote where he talks about you need to be involved in their spiritual, social, psychological, all of their parts. And so again, he doesn't get to family worship here. He comes close. And I actually think one thing that this points out is Driscoll is actually pointing out that maybe the big idol in America isn't family with how much family is falling apart. But then he says, we need to have an idea of, of education. And I know in our reformed worlds, our reformed listeners, there's very strong feelings about education. And if we should be allowed to tell people what there are right and wrong methods of education. And for now, pastor Michael and I aren't going there. (laughs) Because I think what we've neglected is we're not even we're not even in the right ballpark to be having that conversation mm. until family worship is well established in our lives and in the families around us as Christians, right? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think that that's absolutely right. Um, you know, you can ask yourself how often this has come up in your church uh, or in your upbringing. Uh, how often was this stressed as an important aspect of Christian piety? Uh, let me just say now I, you know, I think about some influential figures within the evangelical landscape. Uh, and my mind is always particularly drawn to the story of A.W. Tozer. So A.W. Tozer is a very well-known name uh, as far as, you know, uh, within evangelicalism. And, uh, I, you know, I think some of his work is, can be of some benefit maybe. But uh, within the last decade sometime, uh, I, I listened through uh, an audio biography of A.W. Tozer's life. And what I was really kind of scandalized by, you know, having read some of his books and really benefited from them and, and expected to hear about this, you know, really... Uh, you know, godly man, he would do things like uh, leave his family and go into his study for hours at a time and sing hymns and pray, saying that, you know, he needed to make sure that he was in the right spiritual place to be able to lead uh, the people of the church and to be able to deliver, you know, the word of God to them and things like that. And so he wanted to make sure that he was in the right uh, spiritual health. And when I just say that, my guess is most people listening would be like, oh, that sounds fine, right? Like that sounds okay. Um, he did so to the neglect of his kids and his wife. And he actually left his, you know, kids and wife, wife with really bad taste in their mouth for the ministry and for what, you know, he portrayed as what true piety looks like. And one of the things that I was just shocked by when I listened to it and that I, I just asked this question all the time now, I was just speaking with uh, someone the other day and we were talking about this. I just think, could you not pray with your kids? Like, could, could you not uh, sing hymns with your children and with your wife? Is it, is it so much more virtuous that you lock the door and keep your family out of your uh, religion? And so toward that end, maybe, you know, maybe we could say that far more than the family being an idol, how much within evangelicalism is the whole concept of having a, a quiet time, quote unquote, how much more is that a kind of idol uh, that has led to the neglect of family? Because, you know, quite honestly, like if somebody told me, hey, I'm just, I'm not able to find time during the day to get alone, to read my Bible and pray by myself, but I do uh, read my Bible with my family and I instruct them in it and I pray with them to start the day or at, you know, around the dinner table. I would say good on you. Yep. Like, I, you know, I, I don't think that you should feel bad about, you know, uh, your, you know, Christian walk. And yet I actually think that that's not true uh, within a, a lot of broader evangelicalism. I think that would be seen as a, a distinctly negative thing. I couldn't agree more. I was, we may get to discuss some of the benefits of family worship, but I have totally flipped on this just in the way you're describing. Because again, I think you're right. If there is a kind of piety that is an idol in evangelicalism, it is the personal quiet time. That is definitely viewed as more important than corporate worship, preaching, sacraments, right? With the church. That no doubt that is more important. Now, and neither of us would say that family worship should replace. You cannot do in your family what you do with the gathered church. That is a non-starter. And historically, there is a place for the public worship, family worship, and private worship. Yeah. 
But let me just say, I, I find one of the benefits as a barely an evangelical and evangelical in some ways that doing family worship for me actually relieves the pressure of needing fine time to get a quiet time in. Because you know what I know? Every day I do family worship. Those days I know I've prayed. I know I've sang. And I know I've read the Bible and thought about it. Yeah. And so the thing I think I want to point out about the lack of discussion of family worship is how out of step with the Protestant and Reformed tradition it is. We'll just give two examples because we could do these. We could literally do these for the rest of the show. Let's do one from Martin Luther. So Martin Luther, as you know, he began to visit parishes in the decade after he began the Reformation in 1517, 99 Theses. In 1527, he begins visiting the German parishes who've become Protestant, and he's very disappointed in what he finds. This is actually, I'm going to read something from the beginning of the Shorter Catechism. This is his preface to it. Martin Luther, to all faithful and godly pastors and preachers, grace, mercy, and peace be yours in Jesus Christ our Lord. The deplorable, miserable conditions which I recently observed when visiting the parishes, have constrained and pressed me to put this catechism of Christian doctrine into this brief, plain, and simple form. How pitiable, so help me God, were the things I saw. The common man, especially in the villages, knows practically nothing of Christian doctrine, and many of the pastors are almost entirely incompetent to teach. Yet all the people are supposed to be Christians, have been baptized, and receive the Holy Sacrament, even though they do not know the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, or the Ten Commandments, and live like poor animals of the barnyard and the pig pen. So you get Luther's flair in how he describes this. Luther goes and sees the state of of German Christendom, and he says he needs to write a catechism. And I just want you to note how every section of his catechism starts, which, which is a teaching on the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, in the Ten Commandments. They all start this way. The head of family should teach them in a simple way to his household. So each section is saying, here's what the head of household should teach. This was designed to be used by fathers, or maybe there was unusual cases where the head of household was someone other than a father to teach everyone in the household. Well, we obviously know that in Lutheran tradition and in most church traditions now, the catechism is not done by the family, right? But this was Luther's perspective on the need for it. We actually find an even more striking example of this from the Westminster Divines. So if you're our listener, you're probably familiar that the Westminster Divines are the people that called by Parliament. They wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith, but they also wrote two catechisms to be used for instruction, the shorter catechism and the larger catechism. But they also wrote three other documents. They wrote a directory of public worship describing the worship that they believed was appropriate. They then wrote something called the form of Presbyterian church government. They described the church government they were trying to reform. And then they wrote what I think is one of their more neglected documents, a directory of family worship. And it's a 14-paragraph document. I'll link it in the show notes. You can go look at it. But Pastor Michael, will you just read us, while the language might be a little dense, the introduction? Yeah, so uh, this is what it it says in the introduction. Uh, The General Assembly, after mature deliberation, 
does approve the following rules and directions for cherishing piety and preventing division and schism and does appoint ministers and ruling elders in each congregation to take special care that these directions be observed and followed as likewise that presbyteries and provincial synods inquire and make trial whether the said directions be duly observed in their bounds and to reprove or censure according to the quality of the offense such as shall be found to be reprovable or censurable therein and to the to the end that these directions may not be rendered ineffectual and unprofitable among some through the usual neglect of the very substance of the duty of family worship, the assembly does further require and appoint ministers and ruling elders to make diligent search and inquiry in the congregations committed to their charge respectively, whether there be among them any family or families which use to neglect this necessary duty. And if any such family be found, the head of the family is to be first admonished privately to amend his fault. And in case of his continuing therein, he is to be gravely and sadly reproved by the session, after which reproof, if he be found still to neglect family worship, let him be for his obstinacy in such an offense, suspended and debarred from the Lord's Supper, as being justly esteemed unworthy to communicate therein till he amend. There's a lot of difficult language there, but there are two things I want us to note, and, and Pastor Michael, maybe you'll have something to add. One they took this so seriously, they are recommending church discipline for heads of homes who fail after being instructed, warned, encouraged. If they continue this, they are being instructed to enact various levels of church discipline on them. Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to mention about this before you say, whoa, this is, this is so strict one is they say the person must neglect the very substance of the duty of family worship. So again, they're not saying that if someone doesn't follow these 14 paragraphs exactly or are are not perfect at this. They are, you know, this is not legalism. And it's very what, careful in the language, right? And it's it's very it's careful. slow. It's hey, you know, if somebody's neglecting this, you mention it to them, you talk to them about it, you encourage them to do it. And it's only after like clear obstinacy, like when somebody is refusing, <laughs> like outright saying, No, I know that the church is asking me to do this, but I refuse because I'm not going to do that. It's only then that you move to more severe discipline. Right. Because they believed the substance of family worship was the Christian duty. And so therefore the save a saved person would and must do these things. And so this is this is important. We're about to discuss what we would how the ways we would describe what is the substance of this and both what Pastor Michael and I do to show you the kind of different ways it could look. But I want to ask before we get there, Pastor Michael, when did the idea of family worship kind of get on your radar? That's a good question. Uh, you know, it's, it's maybe always kind of been around, you know, the idea of, you know, family devotions or, you know, reading and, and singing with your family or something like that has, has always kind of been around. Um, but I didn't really start thinking about it deeply until I uh, was near the point of actually having children. So once I was married, you know, my wife and I would do different things, read different things together. Often we would read before bed or something like that. We would sometimes do devotions together. You know, we would do things like that. But when I was really thinking about that, you know, I don't know what it was like for you, but you know, like early marriage when it's just two of you, I just feel like you're so flexible and it's so easy to just do 
whatever works that uh, it like it, it's not hard to fit something into our schedule where we can you know pray together or do something together like this. But it wasn't really until I you know I began having children that I began to think more critically about it. And I would say, you know, and this has been over the course of the last you know so my uh, oldest is five years old. And so uh, over the course of the last five years, maybe a little bit more than five years, I've been uh, kind of slowly moving into regular family worship and changing it as we go until we had a system where now we have a system that I think we're pretty set with that we like that uh, fits pretty well with our schedule. But it took a long time to get to the point where we felt like, oh, yeah, we've really got this, you know, uh, down to where this is a normal part of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to, I'll say where it kind of came onto my radar because I want to give credit where credit is due to Vadi Bakum. Vadi Bakum is one of the, perhaps like Joe Thorne, if he was talking about it, Vadi Bakum is a person who really puts a lot of emphasis on this. I, I remember, I think in his book, Family Shepherds, he describes the necessity of family worship. And I remember in some sermon I watched from him quite some time ago when I was listening to when I was listening to him regularly, he, in a sermon, he quoted from the children's catechism, which I'll bring up in a minute. He did the first like hundred questions and he said, my two-year-old can do this. And I was just shocked that there was someone so devoted to the instruction of their family. But of course that makes sense. That's what Paul says an elder should be doing first, that their own household, that that's how do you want to do you want to know if a elder is called a ministry look at what they do in their house and so pastor michael let's let's get to let's just each describe what we do in our practice of family worship uh, as a place to you know help people have an idea of what we're talking about because i do worry that people may think we're talking about you preparing a a daily sermon for your family um, for your five-year-old sons and yeah, it can scare people and feel a little bit daunting. Um, let me just recommend, you know, you kind of recommended uh, a, a resource or someone that you heard this stuff from. Uh, so about five years ago, I read a, a book. It's called Rediscovering Catechism, The Art of Equipping Covenant Children. It's by Donald Van Dyken. It's published by PNR. Um, it's something that has been used uh, in the past at our church uh, when one of our elders uh, did teach a family shepherding course uh, oh. for the men of the church. And so um, it's, that was a very helpful resource for me personally. It uh, just kind of walks through uh, kind of the history and importance of using a catechism of some kind with your family. Uh, this, was, this was an introduction to me. I didn't grow up using a catechism. And so that's, you know, it's kind of a new, new thing for me. What I'm going to say is what m- my family and I currently do Uh, But let me just say that this has taken about five years to, you know, really get into our routine. Okay. This has been something that we've been slowly, you know, changing and fixing. And I want to start by just saying the best kind of family worship is the, the family worship that you actually do. And so if you hear this and you're like, wow, I really want to do family worship. And you hear, you know, maybe all what, you know, Matt or I do, and you're like, you take it all down and then you try to do that and it lasts a day or two days and then you're done. Well, that's not going to be as helpful as if you just start the day by praying with your family. And then at dinner time, you read, you know, uh, you know, half a chapter of the Bible and just talk about it for a minute. And then that's it. That is better than nothing. So that like, that's fantastic. Praise God. Um, you know, there are days still when, you know, we don't get to family worship. And so we, you know, we will just do a quick prayer together or we'll just read something quick at some point. You know, we don't, we don't stick to this completely well. This is not a, 
this is not a new law uh, by which you must keep, but this is, this is a good, this is something that is required. It's a, it's a duty of the Christian that, that we should be focused on. And it's something that we should delight into uh, and enjoy doing. So, you know, take all those uh, considerations in mind uh, when I say this. So what we do currently is uh, we will, uh, you know, do, you know, probably four basic, based on our schedule, basically uh, about four times a week, uh, we have family worship in the morning after breakfast. We'll usually go to our living room. And what we do right now is we will sing two hymns and we'll sing them right in a row, but we pick two hymns that we sing for a whole month. So, you know, four times or five times a week, we sing the same hymns so that uh, our kids start to learn them and know them. And they're typically hymns that we will sing at church. And unless there's like a different song that our kids really, you know, have heard and they really want to do, because we'll let them kind of pick sometimes, we will pick hymns that we know we sing at church because then, you know, there are days like even this, you know, past week, weekend, uh, there are songs that we'll sing in church and my five-year-old can sing along even though he can't, you know, read yet uh, along in the hymnal. And so we want them to be able to engage in corporate worship uh, in some way too. So this kind of helps them. So uh, we will sing two hymns, and then uh, what we do is we do our uh, memory verse. So we've done different memory verses. We've done Psalm 23 and 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, we're currently, we've done Psalm 1, and we're currently working on Psalm 2 as a family. And so we'll just say it all together. Uh, a good resource for this, by the way, is The Corner Room. Uh, the Corner Room is a, a musical group out of a PCA church. Uh, somewhere. I don't really know where actually, uh, but you can find their stuff on YouTube or, or anywhere else you can get music. They sing word for word Psalms from the ESV. And so this is one way that we started to do this is we would start to sing these Psalms together and we would just sing them every morning uh, as part of our family worship. Uh, after uh, we do that, we read some Bible. So uh, we've started, we just read a, a little bit of the Old Testament. We read a little bit of a gospel. That's what we're doing right now. It's not a lot. Sometimes it's you know, like just one little paragraph of a gospel. And sometimes we'll do like a page or so of the Old Testament to get a little bit more context. Um, right now we're reading through Leviticus actually, which I know sounds weird because I, I have a, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and now a little over one-year-old. And when we started it, I was like, boys, I don't, I don't really know that we have to do Leviticus. I'm fine just, you know, jumping to kind of the major themes and major stories in the Old Testament. And they said, no, no, we want to read Leviticus. And so I said, okay, we're going to do it. And every once in a while I say, boys, do you just want to skip? And we'll just go to, you know, we'll go to something else. We don't have to read every bit of this and every bit of these. And they just want to do it. And so I just keep doing it because I want them to have some buy-in uh, and some uh, decision in, in some part anyway in what we're doing. So we'll do that. And then we do catechism. So right now for our catechism, we're... Uh, learning the Apostles' Creed. So uh, during the week, we have one line of the Apostles' Creed that we'll repeat all together and then repeat up to that point what we know of the Apostles' Creed. And then we do a catechism. We personally just use the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, you can use the Children's Catechism. Uh, there are other resources that you can use. We just found it easiest to just do the Shorter Catechism uh, and just start with that. And what we've done is uh, each, each Shorter Catechism question uh, we put the answer to some tune that our kids will know. And it usually just has to do with whatever we're, you know, maybe it's a Disney movie that we've been watching as a family, or maybe it's just a song that our kids have been singing and we'll use a tune that they know and put the lyrics of the shorter catechism question to it. So uh, the first question is uh, what is the chief end of man? And we put it to twinkle, twinkle, little star. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, 
And so now our kids know that that's how they, that's how they think of the catechism. And so we're probably, you know, we've been doing this again, you know, in different ways for with the actual catechism, probably only for about three years or so. And my oldest son probably knows most of the first 30 questions of the catechism. Now we're not in a rush to do this. So if it takes us a month to work on one catechism question, that's perfectly fine. We're not moving through it really fast. Um, we go back and we repeat very often. And so usually our goal is one new question a week if we can get to it. And that's what we'll do. Um, lately, we've been going back and just repeating them so that my three-year-old son can get the ones that he didn't really get because he was quite young when we went over them. And so uh, we've been doing it that way. <laughs> and so anyway, we do that and then we pray. Uh, we'll choose somebody from our family and somebody from our church to pray for specifically. Our kids can kind of help choose somebody to pray for and we'll pray just for the, our day. And then we sing the Gloria Patri to end. Now that sounds like a lot. It just took me almost, you know, 10 minutes to explain that. This can take anywhere from, depending on how much time we have. Sometimes it's like, man, we really got to go. Uh, so maybe we'll just do 10 minutes. Sometimes we'll be doing it. And in the middle of the reading, you know, the kids will ask a question and we'll start talking about it. And, and we'll get to the point where it just takes more like half an hour. And I would say probably somewhere between there is more than normal, you know, 20 minutes or so is probably what we do on a regular basis. We have started to try to also add in on a Saturday, walking through the church service that's coming the next day so that our kids are aware of the songs that'll be sung and they're aware of the texts that are going to be read. So they're just ready for what, what they're uh, expecting and they can engage in the service a little bit more. So that's where we're at. You know, and we've tried to add other things throughout the day. You know, we read a little bit in the evening at dinner, but, but that's kind of the primary uh, core of what we do for family worship. Yeah. Thanks, Pastor Michael. I think that's great. I hope that me just providing a different a different family practice will give people a yeah just another another way to view this uh, i should I, before you do it i maybe I should cut it too i'm a pastor and my schedule and my like free time like my like when i have to be to the office or things like that are a lot different than for most people and so i understand that you know the way i'm able to do things is not always going to work for everybody yeah, I think you still brought out a few things. I think I, I work from home a lot. And so I do it in the morning. Most of my friends I know who do it, do it in the evening, because that just with their work schedules is what makes sense. I think I was reading online. I, it's, it was weird, but the average family sits down to a meal together five times a week. Most of this research, this is just a weird sidebar that maybe I shouldn't even bother with. They're done by like these like mega food corpse so like these people <laughs> like these are the people who care about this right because they care about how to market they want to know but here's what i tell everyone when when i talk about starting just like what pastor michael said less is more don't 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 try and don't try and do a pastor i'm gonna just say that don't try and start with what pastor michael described oh, yeah. start Again, with it took us it took i'm a pastor and it yeah. took me five years to get to this point start start with it start with 10 minutes max in, and make your goal to do the majority of the days of the week. You have two days off a week, probably. So that's already half of four days. So this, this I'm, I'm giving you doable. The other thing Pastor Michael mentioned that I think, especially with very young children, is a great thing that we incorporate is giving them some agency. So for example, when our family prays, which I'll, I'll come to is we ask my four-year-old daughter, do you want us to say the Lord's prayer or a made up prayer? And then we either all recite the Lord's Prayer together or we pray for different prayer requests. 
here's what we do. We start, we start by singing the Gloria Patri. If you don't know what that is, um, you can find this online and I'll link, I'll link to a version of it in the show notes. It's just kind of the oldest Christian song we have outside of scripture. It's very short, very simple. And it just so happens that Pastor Michael and I both incorporated. This was not a, a pre-planned thing. Didn't plan I didn't it. know that about him. And I assume he didn't know that about me. And then after that, what we do is we actually use the children's catechism. Um, this was developed in the 1800s. And as, as some of the listeners know, I'm actually working on even simplifying the language more and updating it just a little bit. The PCA and the OPC have already also put out their own version of this. There's a Baptist version of this, so it just changes a few things on baptism towards the end. And it's designed as an introduction to the Westminster Confession. So what I like about it is that it is designed to be introduced to children because many of the answers are one word or less. And so I think it's great for kids two to five, two to six, that range. Otherwise, I think doing what Pastor Michael has described is great. So I do two of these really short questions. After that, we read a section of the Bible. Right now we're reading, we read one section of narrative uh, from the Old Testament as I'm just trying to help my daughter become acquainted with the different Bible stories. We then sing, we usually, we sing a psalm or a hymn, normally a psalm. And then after that, we pray. And I ask my daughter, do you want to say a made up prayer or the Lord's prayer? And so I try to incorporate giving her choice, giving her, you know, letting her participate. We'll tell her what to pray because for really little children, it's hard to come up with a made up prayer. That is not easy. So I tell her, you can say this, you can pray this and, and let her. And so, and likewise, while we aim for a shorter time, you will be surprised. I think your children will begin asking questions as you go. We were doing a, a question the other day and because one of the children's catechism question uses uh the verse god is angry with the wicked every day we were discussing sin and the question about sin and and she was asking me what it means to repent and i was saying we have to we have to be it's be sorry for our sin because it's displeasing to god so we can't just be sad we're in trouble or we're trying to avoid responsibility we have to be sorry that our sin is displeasing to god himself my daughter told me, wow, you know, God, there's a lot that God has that God knows about us then, huh? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, wow. And he is angry with the wicked every day. And, and that was just a great moment where I got to then explain the gospel about God, about him remembering our sins no more. And so, you know, Michael and I couldn't, couldn't more highly recommend you begin doing family worship. You know, I don't want to recommend a ton of books, though Michael has recommended one, because these are going to give you all these ideas, all these techniques. And, and really, this is I want to focus on the essential substance of family worship, yeah. which I believe is praying with your family, reading the Bible, singing a song with them, and instruction. And so that might be discussing the Bible passage or, you know, catechism, as Michael and I have both mentioned, is an important part of that for us. And I think historically has been. And those things can be done very simply and very cheaply and don't require a lot of expertise. The catechisms yeah. were, were designed. So Luther, for people who knew nothing to be able to instruct their families, right? These things are things you can do and don't need an, a degree in. 
hours of prep to do. That's right. And it doesn't, I mean, this it's, it's not flashy. It doesn't have to be this big deal. It doesn't have to be you read all these books and you prepared all this stuff. It's if you can open your Bible and read, if you know how to read, uh, you can do this. And if you don't know how to read very well, guess what? You can look up on YouTube guaranteed. They have some Westminster shorter catechism or something like that, that you can use uh, or some, you know, audio Bible that you can use and listen to, and then talk about it with your family. Um, So this is something that you can do very quickly, very easily. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to do, you know, all kinds of stuff uh, that you can, you know, brag about later, just sing something brief, read a quick passage of the Bible, talk about it. And if, you know, if you feel like you're somebody that doesn't uh, understand a lot of the scripture, at least not super well, or you couldn't explain it really well. And, you know, what if, you know, you're reading and your wife or your kids say, oh, what does that mean? And you don't know. Well, then you can say, I don't know. And then go look into it right? You, you have the opportunity to go and look into it later. You don't have to feel like you have it all together and understand it all before you start, because then you never will. Or let me give one other thought for those of us who are not, not pastors. You can say, wow, I don't know. Let's ask our pastor together Sunday. Yeah. Your pastor would be overjoyed to answer a question, to discuss, or even potentially themselves, depending on how difficult a question say, I don't know. I'm going to work on finding an answer for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This Hopefully what we are stressing is just do it. Just do it. Even today, you're hearing this, do it today, do yes. it, to, do it tonight for dinner, do it at breakfast time, uh, you know, do it when it works for you, but uh, like just open the Bible and read it. And I think one of the things that happens, especially amongst, you know, reformed men, I've, I've heard this a lot is there, there are younger guys who get discouraged Uh, because they keep saying something, you know, in their families, like, Hey, we're going to start family worship. We're going to start doing this. And they start, and then they fail to keep going with it. And at some point they just, they don't want to keep going because it's discouraging to keep failing, to keep failing your wife, your kids, and to keep feeling like you're not able to keep up with it. Um, And this is why we're saying, Hey, you know, seriously, just pray, just start the day with prayer and a quick Bible reading. You can do it. And if you have failed in the past, you can still do it. You can right. still do it now. Uh, there's there's no day like today. This is yes. the day that God has given you. Uh, he hasn't given you tomorrow. He's not given you yesterday. You already had that. That's gone. Don't worry about that. Um, worry about today and just do it. And you can. And it honestly, it it really does uh, have a significant impact on your family life and and how you operate as a family. I mean, it, it really helps. Like Matt said, like it all of a sudden your your children are able to understand things and 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 think about things. There are so many times that you know my kids will be at church and they will hear something from the Bible reading, or or they'll hear a hymn that they can now sing, or they will hear the you know Pastor Jim talking about uh, you know something that they heard about in their catechism, and then they'll turn to me and say, you know, look what he just said. Like he said this thing that we know about because we were. We were there. We talked about this. We, we know what this is like. So, uh, so I, I cannot recommend highly enough uh, just, just doing something. Just start with somewhere. Uh, wherever you're at, just start there. Yeah. This is definitely something both Pastor and Michael and I are excited about, passionate about. And, that, and this, is, this is why I said try for the majority of days of the week. Because, yes, as Pastor Michael said, I think so many of us have the tendency that the mo- whether it's a workout plan, a resolution, the moment we don't do it or you know go all the way with it, we go, well, I guess I might as well not do it. No, that's wrong. 
you can you can mess it up. And as he said, today is a great day to start. If you had time to listen to the Restless podcast today, you had time to do family worship four times. That's if you right. had time to record the Restless podcast today, you had time to do family worship all month. Hey, thanks for listening to our episode on family worship. We didn't do as much giggling as normal, but uh, hopefully it was beneficial to you. Now, if you could just go ahead and share it with somebody. If there's somebody that you know that you think could benefit from this material, get it out to them. Uh, We want to make sure that this gets into the earbuds of as many people as possible.